grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the most diabolical works of the devil we see in our world today is when infant baptism is rejected and mocked. And the reason is not just because it goes against the word of Christ in the whole New Testament, but because it denies salvation to precious children whom the Lord loves. And when you look at the grand scheme of church history, it's a relatively new phenomena that groups on a large scale, at least, would deny baptism to infants. In church history, there were outlier groups or small sects or pockets here or there, but many of the church fathers and reformers would call them crazy spirits. Now, even today, the vast, overwhelming majority of Christians in the world practice infant baptism. We're talking in the billions. So with all of this tonight, God calls us to hear his word and examine what he teaches concerning this topic and why it's so important. And then he calls us to faithfulness and confessing and treasuring this wonderful gift in our lives before God and man. And all the while, we take comfort in this teaching of God, which gives us Christ and his benefits now and into everlasting life. Now, going back to the institution of baptism is our starting point where Jesus gives us this gift. Jesus in Matthew 28 said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, we believe that the scriptures are divinely inspired by God, and every word is divinely inspired in the original text. That's called plenary inspiration, full inspiration. And the word here used for nations is an all-encompassing and inclusive word. It's an intentional word. It's where we get the word ethnic from. But what this word in Greek doesn't do is it doesn't make any requirements for age, sex, or language. All nations are just that, all nations, all peoples. It's no wonder then when we heard the sermon by St. Peter in Acts 2 a few minutes ago. He was with Jesus when the Lord instituted baptism and when he gave that command to baptize all nations. Now, here on the day of Pentecost, where there are people from many nations before him, they heard a sermon and what was their response to him? Well, Luke records for us, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, why in the world would Peter say this to the people? Well, it's because this is what the Lord commanded him to do. They heard this word, and these adults asked what they should do. Peter answered them with a call to repentance and flipped it for something to be done to them. Passive. Be baptized. And it follows a purpose. Why? Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We heard about that in the second part of baptism in our series, what benefits does baptism give? And the last part of this, which the, he said to the people, is important. 
because it tells us who's included in all of this. He said, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Their children are included in the promise spoken to them, the promise of forgiveness of the Holy Spirit, which is attached to baptism as a means, as the Lord himself calls them to be his own. Now we could stop right there, and really we could have everything we need, which teaches us that babies should be baptized. God's word is clear. It's really not a complicated thing to understand these passages. We take them at their plain sense. The Lord teaches this as do other parts of Scripture, and we see it explicitly commanded and carried out by the apostles. It's what they did as they were instructed by Jesus. But still, there are other places in the Bible which teach this truth. Acts 16 and 1 Corinthians 1 talk about times where whole households are baptized. Now, that's another key thing, too, as it's inclusive language there in the word household. Now, if you have kids in your household, or when you had kids in your household, do you count them as being there? Well, if you don't, and you turn in your taxes, you might get a knock on your door. The government sure counts them as part of your household, and everyone who is your dependent. So the practice of baptism in the New Testament is always associated with terms like this, which are purposeful, which don't exclude children, but rather use words and phrases that include children. Now the question that we ask ourselves next after we have seen the clear command to baptize infants and the apostolic witness that this indeed did happen is that question, why is this important? Where the apostles sitting around one day and said, you know what would be really fun? If we take a, a young newborn baby and pour water over its head or dunk it in cold water, as they would do even during the times of Luther, and just have it scream and go nuts. Doesn't that sound like a fun thing to do, guys? No. It goes to the very heart of the Christian faith itself. The reason why the baptism of infants is such a big deal, other than being commanded by God, is because infants need Jesus. The reason they need Jesus is because infants, babies, they're sinners. That psalm reading tonight teaches us that when David wrote, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So this psalm, a penitential psalm, Psalm 51, it was written after David committed adultery and murder. And he confesses his sin and shows how this goes even deeper to the fact that from the time his life began, at conception, he was a sinner. And that's another place where this all-inclusive language is used in the Bible. It's in regard to sin. And it shows us that children are included in being under the wages of sin. In Romans 5, we hear, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteousness. So from these passages and others, we see that infants are sinners. 
And another thing we experience in our lives, what is the wages of sin? Death. Why do we die in this world? We're sinners. Do infants die? Yes, sadly they do. Why? Infants are sinners. So then, if infants are sinners, who came to die for sinners? Jesus. So did Jesus die for infants? Absolutely. How does one receive Christ and his benefits? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So now with that, take that and flip it on its head and ask these questions. If infants aren't to be baptized, what does that say about them? What does that say about sin? What does that say about if Christ is for them? So you see, these are very serious things, and when push comes to shove, it all boils down to the salvation of children. Either Jesus died for them, or he didn't. But we see in that reading from Mark tonight, which is also in our baptismal rite, Jesus said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now another issue in the baptism of infants is the issue of faith, because faith receives the benefits of holy baptism. Baptism requires faith, even as it gives faith. And maybe that's a topic that's something we don't often think about in terms of infant baptism. For us who have grown up in the Lutheran Church and been catechized about this, we see very clearly, clearly the need and command to baptize babies. And we've seen countless baptisms in our lives. Yet something that goes along with this, does an infant have faith? Well, once again, what does Holy Scripture say? Let God have his say. Psalm 22, 9 to 10 says, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Psalm 71, 5 to 6 says, Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Did you catch what that says there? From the time we're in our mother's womb, God has made us trust in him, and we have leaned on him from before our birth. In Matthew 21, Jesus points us to Palm Sunday when he says, Yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. So maybe Boyd making noise right now is actually just praising God. So that's, well, no, doesn't sound like it. <laughs> and Luke 1 has this wonderful account of Mary going to visit Elizabeth, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Here are the wombs of each of these women and housing a child. Mary, God in the flesh. Elizabeth, John the baptizer. And Luke 1 records this encounter between the two mothers and their children. We hear, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, 
to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So here's pregnant Mary, pregnant Elizabeth, and John in her womb leaps for joy. Why is that? Was it because Elizabeth had a lot of Mexican food at lunch? No. John had faith in Christ. So the error in thinking a baby can't believe the gospel is when we think faith is some intellectual ability or quality in us rather than that instrument which receives Christ and his benefits. This is why it's so important for Christian parents to be hearing the word of God and reading it to their children even in the womb. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. It's this way for adults and infants alike. God works faith through the word of God. And it's also an important and comforting thing for someone who has lost a baby in the womb before the baby can be baptized. The consolation of eternal life for the child rests in that very same word of God, which has been heard and spoken to the parents in which they have been praying for the child who was in the womb, in which they have been hearing. Christian parents find comfort in God's word for their child that's taken too soon, just as they find comfort in their own baptisms and in, own, in, their, own, in their own word preached to them. And it's all the more reason that parents are to be faithful in hearing the word of God and the church praying for the unborn children, because the care of God's children doesn't start when the child is born. It starts at the very beginning of life itself. God is the creator of life, even as he himself is the life. And that's why we as the Christian church defend life. So bringing a baby to baptism then, it doesn't presume that the baby doesn't believe, but it also trusts in God to give what he says as well. Because in baptism, like everything, it all depends on God's word and command. We place our trust in what he says and find our confidence in what he promises he does and gives in the waters of baptism. Martin Luther sums this up nicely in the large catechism. If you remember, the large catechism was written before the small catechism. And at the very end of the section in the large catechism, there's a whole section about infant baptism. They talk about this point because they're extolling the, the gifts of this. So Martin Luther summarizes this. He says, so we do likewise in infant baptism. We bring the child in the conviction and hope that it believes, and we pray that God may grant it faith. But we do not baptize it for that reason, but solely because of God's command. Why? Because we know that God does not lie. I am my neighbor, and in short, all people may err and deceive. But God's word cannot err. And since Luther's saying, why do we baptize babies? Because God says to baptize babies. So dear saints of God, rejoice with God in holy baptism, this great treasure that we have. 
Rejoice that Jesus has fulfilled God's law perfectly, that he's suffered his, the wrath of God for your sin, that he's paid the price that you owe, and that your sin is forgiven and you have eternal life. And this is for you and it's for your children because Jesus is the Savior of the world, the Savior of all people. And God gave you, the church, the great, wonderful, saving gift of holy baptism. We call it the sacrament of justification because it delivers to you Christ and his righteousness. So you stand without blemish before the Father because your sin has been washed away and you've been clothed with Christ. Be you a 101-year-old or even a little baby who can't even stand on his own, you both stand righteous before the throne of God on account of what Jesus has done for you. And so the confidence that you have in Christ is for all who are baptized in Christ. So make use of baptism. Don't forget what you have. Rather, live in those waters each and every day. And the charge to Christian parents is to do the same as the Lord and salvation are theirs as they are baptized into Christ. We have that passage in Scripture that if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it is better for a millstone to be hung around his neck and him cast into the sea. Throughout history, in Lutheran text, oftentimes that's referred to for about baptism. That's what the responsibility of parents are. But when you look at your children, you look at your grandchildren or other children in the church, you see their faces knowing that Christ has died for them and he's died for you. And that together your fellow heirs as you share in the one Lord in baptism. One of my pet peeves is when, we, when you often hear people say, children are the future of the church. That's not true. Children are the church just as much as adults are the church, where we are the body of Christ together. So infant baptism is this wonderful thing, and thanks be to God that it's his work and that the promise that he makes and gives to his children, to adults, children alike, who have the kingdom of God now and forever. Amen.